It's Picture Lock on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find movie reviews, all the back episodes, and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. If you're wondering what to check out this weekend, hopefully you caught me on my weekly Let's Talk Live DC segment earlier today. If not, be sure to visit PictureLockShow.com or follow me on Instagram at PictureLockShow to see that. This week on the show, I have writer, director, co-producer Jordan Allen on to talk about his documentary Christians in the Mirror, and that's going to take up the whole episode. So let's get right into it, because that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hey, everybody. This is Ann Wells, writer, director, producer of An Accidental Zombie Named Ted, and you're listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and Christians in the Mirror reveals the intense suffering of persecuted Christians around the world, from the demolished streets of Aleppo, Syria, and northern Iraq, to rural villages in India, South Sudan, and Egypt. Christians in the Mirror tells stories of not only unbelievable persecution, but also the inspiring faith and fortitude Christian communities have displayed in the face of so much devastation. I have the film's writer, director, co-producer, Jordan Allett on the line. Jordan, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, man. So Jordan, the first question I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? Uh, yeah, it's a good, that's a good question. Uh, kind of an important one, I think, for, for every filmmaker. Uh, I think I think in college when I was studying philosophy and um, a philosophy professor I had knew that I was interested in film and, and uh, asked me to uh, watch a film that was his favorite called The Seventh Seal. And uh, it was an Ingmar Bergman film from the 1950s. And I, I really got interested because I saw a film being done in a different way than what I had seen in my life, uh, you know, through Hollywood films and it's very philosophical and, and, uh, just very, very different than anything I'd seen. So, um, yeah, that's when I really loved film or fell in love with film. And, but from there it slowly was an evolution to making documentaries because I, I at one point I had a, uh, sort of an epiphany and realized that, Hey, you know, the fiction films are great, but these stories are taking place all over the world right now, you know, in, in reality. And, and so I, I started to love documentary films because, um, you know, they gave me an opportunity to highlight stories that were real, involving real, real heroes and sometimes even real victims. Um, and, and so that kind of transition took place. It's really cool to kind of hear that first film that you, you know, really had you fall mm. in love with film and now it ties into, you know, even Christians in the Mirror. Um, I do want to get into kind of like your breaking in story. How did you get started in the industry? Because I do think some of the work that you've done in the past uh, will have definitely probably has an influence on what you've done with the film we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It, it all kind of um, ties in together. I, I, uh, you know, when I started out, there weren't a lot of, you know, online videos and things like that. Uh, I think YouTube was just starting out. Uh, and so long-form documentaries were more, you know, the thing to, to focus on. And, and I did some mountain climbing videos that had to do with spirituality. And I actually met a, a Catholic priest from Cuba on one of my trips down to Mexico shooting, shooting videos um, 
involved in mountain climbing. And, and so I, I got more interested in that situation for a number of years, about five years. I created uh, three or four documentaries on Cuba and the opposition there, including one called Oscars Cuba about um, uh, a very high-profile uh, Cuban opposition leader, Dr. Oscar Bissett, um, which really kind of t- took off and because of who he is. And, um, and then that let, led me into sort of other places around the world um, where human rights, you know, needed to be highlighted or, or the lack of human rights and, and lack of religious freedom and just um, sort of international issues that I've always had an, an interest in. So that was kind of a journey um, in short to, uh, you know, my work in the Middle East and Africa. Last question before we get into Christians in the Mirror. Uh, you know, what is it mm-hmm. about traveling the world and documenting it through a film mm-hmm. that you really enjoy? Because I think that, one, it kind of takes definitely a certain person because I know, as I've had many guests come on before, and the issues that kind of come up with filming in different languages or different uh, cultures and obviously the mm-hmm. language barrier that could be there and things like that. But what is it about that that really intrigues you and propels you to feel like this is a story that I want to tell? Yeah, I think it's, you know, even thinking about your own friends and family as well as yourself and what touches you, you know, when you're there uh, meeting new people, but also what, what might touch them. You know, people who are a little bit different than you. Um, say, wow, that, that person would really re- relate to the story of that individual. And, of course, like you said, there's first and foremost language differences. I think if everything was in the same language, that would, you know, help a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... You know, it, it takes away a lot of that sort of like foreign foreignness of, of of things, but also the cultural differences. But sometimes you meet people and you're like, wow, they really would connect on this this point or this situation or something to do with their family. I mean, people are, are similar in most places when you strip away some of these sort of superficial things. Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes to faith and religion, too, I mean, you know, when you see people who are very different, but they have that in common. Um, you know that, that others would be inspired or would be, you know, just have a desire to help um, when you can kind of boil it down. And, and so I'm always looking for those opportunities to kind of strip away some of the, you know, the otherness from, from people who are very different and then, and then sort of unite people through um, the commonalities that, that you see. But also, you know, focus, you know, I, I selfishly too, to be honest, I love to travel because, you know, especially for work, especially places that um, are very different, because you learn a lot about those places, but also about yourself. You know, I know when I'm home, I, I, don't, I don't grow much <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm home as much as I do when I'm traveling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you, you know, you, yeah, you learn about yourself. You learn about how you handle situations, how you don't handle mm. situations that, as well as you should. Um, and so it's a real opportunity to do that. And I think even through a film, when you bring it back, I would say, look, if you, you know, have an event and somebody's going to speak, um, about a situation, that's good. But if you can show people, you know, the situation and you can bring them there, basically, uh, that's so much better because then you can hear people talking about it, but also they're, they'll show you their life, hopefully, you know, that's the idea. Um, to have them show you and, and bring you in like a guest into their home for the good and the bad. Um, and then they walk away an hour or whatever later 
feeling like they were there. Yeah, most definitely. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking to the guy that gets as much personal growth as he gives with the films that he makes traveling. <laughs> I'm talking with the writer, director, co-producer of Christians in the Mirror, Jordan Allett. Jordan, Christians in the Mirror, if you could, in your own words, what is the film all about? Well, and I think you did a great job of summarizing it. So, but uh, Christians in the Mirror um, tell stories of courage and, and deep faith in the face of persecution from around the world. We focus on five countries, Syria, Iraq, Egypt, Sudan, and India. But we try to give sort of a top-down general view of you know, this crisis that takes place is taking place uh, of, of the lack of religious freedom, but specifically Christian persecution. But um, also we want to, we have vignettes that, that tell personal stories so people can get to know on an on a individual basis sort of the, some of the people that are impacted um, so they can hear the stories, connect with them, and then also see some of the positive things they're trying to do to combat that or, or to rebuild their lives and to help others who are who are suffering. Um, you know, although it's a 70-minute film, and uh, yeah, we're just starting distribution on it, but we're we're hoping that you know we did a I think a pretty good job as much as you can of showing a wide variety of Christian denominations and situations. Um, you know, age, gender, ethnicity, race. Uh, geographic location. There are million. Unfortunately, there are a lot of stories we could tell. We that we didn't places we couldn't or didn't go to Nigeria and China and Pakistan and I mean, again, unfortunately, the the list is long. But um, we think that you know one of the things that I like to do with the film is ask people who their favorite character was or the favorite uh, location or vignette because you know every every ten minutes we have a new a new country that we focus on and we give a little bit of a background into that country um, and, you know, where it is on the map, what kind of Christian uh, communities exist there. And then we dive into these personal stories. And, and I think people walk away really connecting with the, the characters. They're, you know, they're characters, but they're real people. Um, and that was our, our goal. You know, I think one of the things that at least attracted me to uh, the, the film and the trailer and, and wanting to see the film is more so from, you know, an American uh, home of the free uh, kind of lifestyle that we lead. Uh, you know, a lot of us, we have our, our ability to have our religious freedom. Um, and so stories of persecution and martyrdom, that seems like that's like found in the Bible. That couldn't be modern day times. Um, but it is, and it and it's happening in other places around the world. And so there's a certain level of uncomfortable, uncomfortable, <laughs> uncomfortability <laughs> uh, that mm-hmm. I think I, you know, I I I feel like just in watching that as a, a Christian myself. But um, it, it kind of speaks to something larger as well in in terms of like having the freedom to believe what you want to believe in, you know, whether, whether that would be Christianity or, you know, Islam or whatever. Um, but obviously yeah. this documentary focuses on uh, Christianity. So what I wanted to ask you is, um, why do you think we need to connect to this story? Why is this an important story to tell? And again, kind of going back to the freedom to just live your life, why is that important? That's that's a great that's a great question, and I think 
I think, you know, most, almost all Americans, you know, would see that as our, our underlying foundational principle. And I would say, look, you know, we're, we, you know, our country hasn't been perfect on that. We're not probably ever going to be perfect, but it's something that everybody would agree to, to say, look, that's something we're, we're striving for. Um, you know, freedom, freedom period, but freedom of religion, freedom of conscience to believe in, in whatever you believe in, you know, whether it's, you know, faith or not. Um, and so I, I, it's almost, I wouldn't say taken for granted because again, we are continuing to try to uh, work towards that perfection, but we have to realize that that doesn't exist in most places in the world. And if that's an underlying principle for us, then we need to also um, help others achieve that, you know, whether it's in public, you know, our international uh, foreign policy. Um, I think that's something that has been lost on past generations to say, well, international religious freedom is an important issue. And if we're going to be working with other countries, we need to make sure that, that they respect the beliefs, um, the freedoms of different minority groups, and in this case with, with regards to religion, um, and, and we haven't always done that. And so we need to, to make sure that you know, those in, in government make it a priority because it's, it's something that we, we value here. But, you know, specifically for Christians, because you, you're right, I mean, that, that goes across all, all religions or, you know, faith, no faith, whatever people want to believe. Um, but, you know, one point I like to make about the persecution of Christians specifically, and, you know, it's something that even, you know, the, those uh, countries or, or, or news publications and media that don't focus on, on Christianity have started to point out more and more that it is a sort of a crisis that oftentimes Christians are targeted um, in different countries that, you know, unlike the European and, and American countries, uh, the West, uh, you know, usually Christians are a minority and sort of easy prey because they do sort of represent the West and, and different groups or governments can make, uh, can focus on them and sort of make a point by persecuting them. But Christians usually don't have a voice in their, you know, in their governments or in their communities. Uh, broader communities uh, in various countries, and I, I like to give the example of Christians in, in a place like Karakosh, which is highlighted in the film, which is a Christian village outside of Mosul, um, and there are a number of those Christian villages uh, right, right outside Mosul. A lot of Christians used to live in Mosul in, in northern Iraq, um, Iraq's second largest city, and you know, 2014, ISIS came in and took over Mosul and, and those villages, and uh, tens of thousands of, of, of Christians left along with others um, and had to go up to Erbil a number of hours away as refugees. Many were killed. And if you're, you know, I like to give the example of if you're, you know, a Kurdish person in that area, you, you have a very strong Kurdish military to the north. You, the, uh, the regional government of Kurdistan is there to protect you. If you're a Shia Muslim, 70% of the country is, is Shia Muslim. Iran is there, you know, with militias to protect the Shia um, individuals. If you're a, a Sunni, you know, there are plenty of Sunni um, governments around there and, and militias to protect you. But if you're a Christian or Yazidi, you look around you and you see Iran, Turkey, Syria, and Saudi Arabia, <laughs> you don't have much around you that, that is interested in your 
you know, protecting you or, or in, in making sure that you're, uh, you have the resources to survive. And so Christians often will look to the West and say, well, you know, sure, you know, they, they might not prioritize us, unfortunately, but they're at least going to treat us fairly and, and, and help us. So they look to Europe and, and the U.S. and Canada specifically. But unfortunately, I think maybe because of pride or, or something like that, we, a, a lot of our, a lot of the Western countries won't, won't assist Christians. One, because we don't know they exist in a lot of, a lot of these countries. So with people who, you know, in a democracy who have some sort of power to, to push their elected officials, we don't even know that they exist in large, relatively large numbers, 5, 10, 15% of the population, um, in places like Iraq, Syria, Egypt. But then our, our, you know, our governments don't want to look like we're trying to help Christians. And so, for example, I, I give this stat, I think it was 2017, where um, uh, the UK allowed in 1,100 Syrian refugees, but not one of them was a Christian. And about 10% of the population of Syria uh, is Christian. So you would think they're obviously being targeted. Um, those villages are being targeted, the Christian villages in Syria. You'd think at least, you know, a hundred, a couple hundred, at least one <laughs> Christian would be allowed in. But it's almost a concerted effort to say, well, we don't want to look like we're helping Christians because that looks bad internationally for some reason. Hmm. And so we're going to make sure not to allow any, you know, any Christians in. Um, and, and that trickles down to other things, whether it's giving aid, whether it's when they're dealing with governments, um, you know, putting pressure on them. And so I feel like those Christian communities who have nobody around them to have their best interest in mind are the victims of our own sort of vanity and pride here in the West. Um, and that even trickles down, I think, sometimes to the churches, too, where we don't want to look like, wow, we're specifically helping Christians. And I, and I don't think we should only, obviously, help Christians. We should help all people who are victims, no matter what. Um, but oftentimes, again, these, these Christian communities are, are sort of um, the ones that are left out. And the film kind of highlights what happens when these communities are ignored. Yeah. Folks, so you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer, director, co-producer of Christians in the Mirror, Jordan Allett. Uh, Jordan, kind of wrapping out here, uh, a, a couple more questions. Um, one, mm -hmm. as you're saying, you know, the the film kind of highlights these different individuals um, in different places, and sometimes, you know, we're seeing literally it's like a one person that's standing on a deserted road. Uh, it looks like pretty much the whole town has been abandoned, and so I'm wondering as you get close to uh, the subjects within the documentary, obviously uh, I'm sure there are things that don't leave you. you you know, memories that you have. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, is there a certain person that you kind of found a kinship with that you check up on regularly or an event that, that occurred, a, a different uh, location that you went mm. to that just really, um, you know, continues to stick out in your mind? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I do keep in contact with a, a number, not, not everybody, but m most of the sort of main subjects of, of the documentary, like, Reverend John uh, Dow from, from South Sudan, former lost boy from Sudan, and he's an Anglican reverend now and doing great work there with, with uh, refugees and IDPs uh, at, at a school for, for younger children um, through his, his group, Good Shepherd. And Antoine, who, who was, uh, you know, when we had our, our, our event, um, 
And on the big screen, I think people connected with him because he's he was just so articulate, a young 20-something young young man from Aleppo, Syria, who sort of described what he lived through through 10 years of civil war and 500,000 people being killed just in Aleppo. I think one thing, you know, like talking to him and, and, and others uh, on the ground, so to speak, that, you know, and this is inevitable that people, you know, we're focused on one situation and then the news cycle and other things going on in the world and with social media nowadays and just news. And I, I don't blame necessarily anybody for it. You know, our, our attention then goes somewhere else. And when they're rebuilding, even when maybe the war or, you know, the crisis sort of, you know, wanes a bit, rebuilding is needed. The psychological and the emotional impact of what these people have gone through is still there. And so, you know, like, you know, I mentioned Karakosh before in Iraq, so now ISIS is, quote-unquote, defeated or, or uh, you know, 90% defeated um, in Iraq and Syria. And so a lot of the refugees who left are being forced to go back, and, a lot, you know, they don't want to, right? So because they don't feel like there's any hope for long-term stability and security and opportunities to, to build a a new life and they're going back to their homes that are destroyed, churches destroyed because they were taken over by ISIS. And um, sometimes there's still like landmines and things like that in the, in the town. And oftentimes the families have split up because some of them have been able to leave, maybe go to Jordan or Lebanon or out even to the West or Australia. Mm. Um, but there's a lot of psychological damage too, especially to the children. They've lost years in school, things like that. And so, they're much worse off than they were, um, so it, it's 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 troubling, I think, to to follow these stories as as they continue on and they face new challenges. But uh, you know, unfortunately, we you know the, the the news cycle has ended, and and so they're left to kind of um, even even uh, donations have dried up, you know, things like that. And so it's it's a very difficult road for them looking forward. The question that I do want to ask, uh, or maybe uh, the question I was trying to get to, um, is also for you personally, like how have you been changed and impacted from uh, what you've done? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I would say um, I think it's the, the deep faith of the people that, that I am able to spend time with. And, you know, we, we, we try to highlight certain emotions and, and key points and things like that. But spending time with them, you get, you get a fuller picture, right? So sometimes you're, um, I, I, there's a, a moment in the film where there's a young boy in Aleppo who's wearing these like SpongeBob square pants, yellow pajamas, and it's, it's getting dark and he's ch- jumping and laughing up and down on this big, you know, mound of rubble with a backdrop of blown out buildings. And I have actually a picture of it in my office. Um, and, you know, people ask about that all the time. And I say, well, look, you know, these, you know, you have to remember that these people's lives continue on. And so there's laughter and there's, there's, there's games and there's even, even school and, and trying to rebuild their lives and people getting married and, you know, having children and things like that. And so, um, and that takes, I think, a lot of, a lot of faith, you know, that, that's what people turn to. I think we all often do, will do that in the times of, 
great distress is turned to our faith. And, and so it, it's a reminder for me living here in the U.S. that um, that's, that's a gift. I remember a bit some from Egypt. She, she was the wife of one of the 21 um, Coptic Orthodox Christians from, from Egypt who were beheaded by ISIS in, in, in Lebanon, or sorry, in, in Libya. And sitting down with her, and she had such such joy, even though her her husband was killed, uh, martyred. But when she told the story of learning that her husband did not deny the faith, that he could have been spared if he denied his faith in Christ, um, and learning that he didn't do that, gave her such joy and 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 pride and deep faith, and it strengthened her and her whole community. Um, to learn that that these men had, did not do that, uh, and now she almost sees it as a as a as a mission, as her like vocation, her calling, to help spread that message. Like you said from the beginning, you know these these stories, and she said so eloquently that you know we we read about stories of of martyrs, people who who's held on to their faith, um, no matter what. We read about that in the Bible and elsewhere, and we you know we often think it's something from the past, but there are those type of heroes, saints, you know, people to emulate that exist today and how that can strengthen you as a family, you, you know, your faith is something that I think we, we, you know, Christians should, should really, uh, should really focus on. And so that's something that the film also focuses on. Um, you know, I, I thought one of the stories, I think it was the photographer of Aleppo that uh, you guys had mm -hmm. in, he just talked about how uh, he walks down the street with headphones on and his folks didn't want him to do that for traffic, but he said he does it because he didn't want to hear the whistle of a mortar shell um, that comes in and, you know, that's the last thing he hears. Instead, he'd rather hear Coldplay. And I thought that that was such a, a universal moment. Um, one, you know, one, like, hey, if I'm going to go out, I want to go out listening to, to some good music and not, you know, being fearful of the, the whistle of a mortar shell. But at the same time, it is such a, a simple statement that it was such a powerful statement. And I think that was one of the interesting things as well as you kind of highlighted uh, earlier, Jordan, that uh, many of... Uh, Many of the people within the film, they, they didn't ask for like, hey, can you take us into your home or can you, you know, send us some money? They like literally said, just pray for us. And I was just like, whoa, that's 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 definitely some faith right there. Um, it's definitely not how I would think. But uh, Jordan, I know you just had, uh, as we record this, uh, a screening at the Miracle Theater in Southeast D.C. Shout out to the folks at the Miracle. Um, but, you know, Moving forward, how can people that are listening right now, how can they follow the film, follow you guys, find out more about screenings? Yes, great. Yeah, we had a great turnout, over a couple hundred people. A lot of, you know, NGOs that deal with this issue helped us out as well. Um, and moving forward, we see this as sort of a springboard. We have other events that we're already planning all over the country. And our sort of message is to, to churches, organizations, individuals that want to do something to, to, to see the film and get it out to their community, um, just contact us uh, through christiansinthemirror.com or our Facebook page if you just put in Christians in the Mirror. Um, we also have Instagram. Um, you can also contact Joshua Cord, which is a Tampa Bay-based uh, 
NGO, not for profit that is behind the the, the documentary. Um, so yeah, we we are really relying on especially churches, but but really anybody who has an interest in in watching the film and then spreading it. Um, you know, our our number one goal is just getting it into in front of as many eyeballs as possible, whether it's five, fifty, or five hundred at a time. And we have a lot of uh, plans moving forward to do that on a large scale. But don't don't feel you know hesitant about contacting us to say, well, you know, we have a church that might be interested in it. Definitely, that's that's really I think what our our early motivation was is to just get it into the churches, um, you know, sort of one at a time. So please do reach out. He is the writer, director, co-producer of Christians in the Mirror, Jordan Allett. Thanks so much for joining me on Picture Lock. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guest, Jordan Allett, for coming on the show. Subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast. So you can hear the extended radio versions of the show, catch unlocked episodes, and the Picture Lock PR after show. You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S. The Producer 13. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.